Today's reading is from Mark chapter 2, verse 23 to chapter 3, verse 6. Now it happened that on the Sabbath, Jesus was passing through the grain fields and his disciples started out on the road by picking grain heads. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not permitted on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Did you never read what David did when he was in a time of need, when he himself and those with him were hungry? How he went into the house of God during the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful, except for the priest to eat. Also, how he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for the sake of humanity, not humanity for the sake of the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue and there was a man there with a decrepit hand. The Pharisees were watching closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could arrest him. Jesus said to the man with a decrepit hand, Come, stand here in front of everyone. Jesus then said to the Pharisees, On the Sabbath, is it lawful to do good or to do bad? To save a life or to kill it? But they were silent. Jesus looked around them at them with anger, grieving over the hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. The man stretched out his hand and it was restored. Immediately, the Pharisees made a pact with the Herodians that they would kill him. Thanks, Heather. And hello again, everybody. I wanted to... I wanted today to try and jump into an issue that I think is kind of confusing uh, often for Christians, for those thinking about Christianity and those who even think about God. And that issue is, what's the place of the rules? What are the, how do the rules work? What do we do with the rules? What are the rules? Well, by rules, I mean what the Bible commonly refers to as the law. The law is most famously known, and I don't mean, you know, don't do more than 50 on Gibson's Road. I mean God's law, which is most famously known as the Ten Commandments. Often, we sort of go, what do we do with them? Because, like, is it about keeping them or Jesus? or How do the two fit together? And you'll hear all kinds of different responses. Uh, often uh, folks might say, look, when it comes to God, didn't he have those 10 rules? And if you can just do those pretty well, you should be all right. You don't go to hell, you go to heaven, just do the 10. Uh, some will go with kind of an each way bet and say, well, trust Jesus. He died on the cross for you and keep those commandments. You've got to do the commandments. And don't ask me too many questions about what part is it about how I score on the commandments and if I'm saved by grace alone, because that will get confusing. I'm confused. Some will go into a space where they say, no, 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 because remember, if you read on in the Bible, it says we're freed from law, so the commandments don't count anymore. Uh, It's all about Jesus. You don't have to worry about that sort of stuff. That's law. That's law. Move away from that. Just look to Jesus. And some will stay silently in another space because it can get confusing. This morning, I think this passage gives us a good opportunity to press into the question a little bit, and I hope to lead us somewhat in that area. Why do I think we're in a good space to approach this subject? Well, one, we've got some excellent people speaking to it. Firstly, we've got Pharisees. 
Do not let yourself hear the word Pharisee and immediately go, oh, bad guys. There will be significant conflict with the Pharisees and Jesus and, well, maybe they are the bad guys. But that doesn't mean they don't have something amazing to offer. Probably in the history of the world, there's never been a group of people who collectively are as zealous for God's law. They're really interested in God's law. They want to protect God's law. They want to see God's law obeyed. Uh, they are all about the law. And so they are key players in both of these episodes. The other thing that's really helpful this morning is a particular part of the law. Rather than talk about all the Ten Commandments and the hundreds and hundreds that you can read about if you read all of the Old Testament, we're going to go into one that was of particular interest in ancient times and may even be of particular interest today, the Sabbath. And then the other thing that's really helpful, really, really helpful, is we've got Pharisees, experts in the law, we've got the Sabbath, a key point to jump in on, and we've got a guy who knows a thing or two about the law, the guy who wrote them, Jesus Christ, who Mark's already told us is the Son of God. So that places us in a good space to work out how does this all fit together? What do we do with law and Jesus and the whole thing. How's it going to work? Well, there's what I'm going to call two trials. There's a trial in a grain field and a trial in the synagogue. On both occasions, it's the Pharisees who are asking the questions. How does the, work, the, the law work with you here? It's Jesus giving the answers, and it's the Sabbath. That's our point of contact. So we're in good shape. Here's what I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the finish right now. Trial number one will show us that God's law reveals God's heart. Trial one will show you that God's law reveals God's heart. Trial number two will show you that God's law reveals the human heart. See that? So trial number one, God's law reveals God's heart. Trial number two, I'm going to try and show you that God's law also reveals the human heart. So let's jump into trial number one. Trial number one occurs in a grain field as Jesus and his disciples are walking through and the guys start to pick some heads of grain. What's the accusation in this trial? Well, the accusation emerges in verse 24, where the Pharisees, seeing this happen, say to Jesus, Why? Look! Why are they doing what is not permitted on the Sabbath? Their accusation is, Jesus, your guys, and therefore you, because a disciple models his life on his rabbi, so Jesus is called to give the account, you guys don't keep the Sabbath. That's the accusation. Why do you do what's unlawful? So let's examine the evidence, because we have an accusation. Well, the evidence starts by us looking at the story as Mark tells it to us firsthand. First of all, it's debatable as to whether or not Jesus' disciples are actually doing what is unlawful. In the Pharisees' mind, oh, 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 the Sabbath is the day you're meant to be resting, do no work, and here you are, harvesting. Well, maybe. Jesus' disciples are walking through a grain yard, a grain field, grain yard, grain field, and they start to pick the heads of, of grain and eat it. Is this breaking the Sabbath? Well, according to the Bible and my understanding of the Old Testament, it's not. 
Passages like Leviticus 22 provide that this is fine. In the eyes of Leviticus 22, and therefore the eyes of God, the disciples aren't actually harvesting. These guys are not walking along with sickles and a bag and, you know, storing up for their, their, their barn. They're having lunch. And lunch is legal. They're walking through the vineyard. Hmm. Sorry, vineyard, grain field, and eating as they go. They're just having lunch. And according to passages like Leviticus 22 and other areas in Deuteronomy, this is fine. What's the problem? Well, the Pharisees are referring to another book called the Mishnah. The Mishnah, though helpful at times, is Jewish wisdom, but it's not God's word. It's not God's scripture. They're saying, you're actually breaking our laws. You're doing the things that we who are zealous for the law and wrote laws to protect the law, you're breaking those laws. But they're actually not breaking God's Ten Commandments. They're not breaking God's law. The other thing that the Pharisees might be having their nose out of joint about, which is quite interesting, is another law in the Mishnah was how far you could walk on the Sabbath. There's such a thing as a Sabbath day's walk. And so just maybe as they see Jesus and his disciples walking through these grain fields, they think, well, you've done more than a kilometre now. You're over a Sabbath day's walk. Uh, so you're breaking the commandment again. My question to them would be, aren't you walking right next to us? Which brings another area of problem. So as we examine the episode, you sort of say, I'm not sure anyone's actually breaking this law. But Jesus doesn't actually take my approach. My approach was one to actually look at this against God's law as it's written and say, are they breaking the law? It's important to establish, I think, that they are not. For Jesus is not a transgressor. Jesus does not break God's law. Jesus does not sin. He does not transgress. And he doesn't lead people to do that. But here's how Jesus answers the accusation. He says to them, there's a story that if you guys haven't read it, you really should read it. And some of you might have read it recently because it occurs in 1 Samuel chapter 20, a book we've recently been in. Jesus says to them, did you never read that David, David was the king of Israel, if you're new to, to this Bible, did you never read that da what David did when he was in his time of need, when he himself and those who were with him were hungry, how they went into the house of God during the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful except for the priests to eat. Also, how he gave it to those who were with him. Jesus says to these Pharisees, you say I've broken your law, but I want to show you a space in God's word, in 1 Samuel 20, that you should be familiar with, where David does something that I suspect, according to your standard, you wouldn't like either, but the scripture doesn't condemn him. King David, who is highly regarded, is happy to do it. And Abiathar, the priest, is happy to condone it after some examination. So he says, I want you to look at this standard and understand what's going on with God's laws. So let's, let me give you a little bit of a, an insight to what might have happened in those days. There was this bread in the house of God. It's consecrated bread. That means it's set aside. So in a Pharisee's eyes, it would have been, well, that's set aside. You can't have it. To understand this, maybe we need to go back to the youth of a woman called Rachel Dirks, my wife. Rachel tells the story of Easter time. Rachel's younger brother, Tim, 
is allegedly the slowest eater of Easter eggs in the world. And Rach would say as a kid, I'd gobble up all my Easter eggs. And then Tim would take days, weeks, maybe a month, to finish his Easter eggs. And there would be these Easter eggs just sitting there consecrated to Tim. And so you can't touch them. And though your belly would be hungry for Easter egg because you'd gobbled up all of yours, you can't have Tim's bunny because it's consecrated to Tim. So why is it that God, Abby, Arthur, and David were okay for David and his men eating this bread? Because they understood the purpose behind the consecration. What happens in the story is the bread is placed in the house of God. It's to be in the presence of God. It's warm bread. It's the kind of thing that makes your mouth water. It's an offering to God that says, God, we recognize that you are with us. We give, us, we give you our best. We treat you like you were a valued, wonderful, honored VIP in our presence here. Do you know what happens in the story? The bread's replaced with more hot bread. Because its purpose, rather than its rule, its purpose had been served. God had been honored. People had been reminded. God had been glorified. So we take this bread and we feed some hungry traveling men and we put some nice, hot, warm bread in to replace it. We don't have to treat it like Tim's Easter egg that is consecrated to Tim forever and ever again. We understand the purpose behind the law. And this is what Jesus wants the Pharisees here and you and I to understand. The purpose behind God's Sabbath law and the purpose behind God's law. Verse 27 gives us a verdict on this trial. And he said to them, the Sabbath has made, was made for the sake of humanity, not humanity for the sake of the Sabbath. The Sabbath... Indeed, all of God's law and his Ten Commandments was never given to be a hardship to humanity, was never given to be a test, was given to be a gift. This was God blessing his people. God wasn't putting bread, saying, put bread there so that anyone who feels hungry can have a mouth water and feel like, oh, if only that wasn't God's bread, it's like Tim's Easter eggs, I can't have it. God's not a meanie who's trying to make life hard. God placed the bread there that people might remember God's really with us. Wow, we're encouraged by that. God gave the Sabbath that people might stop and remember God is really for us. Who here has ever started or played a game of Sleeping Lions? Sleeping Lions? Haley, I'm not surprised. Pete, I'm not surprised that you guys are familiar with Sleeping Lions. I'm just going to school these guys who might not know about Sleeping Lions. So here's what you do. When your kids, or the kids you're babysitting, or your grandkids or whatever, are driving you insane, this works too, teachers. You can do this with the little ones at school, so thank me later. When they're driving you nuts and you just need some respite, you say, let's play Sleeping Lions. Little kids don't know that this game is not about them. It's about you. Because what happens is even the most energetic, boisterous, competitive kid now becomes like a statue. He's a sleeping lion. He's not going to lose. And he's like, the way I win this is being perfect at doing nothing. 
And you know what the beauty of it is, of course? They police one another and become competitive because they want to win at Sleeping Lions. And if we see you move, then you must be an awake lion. So everyone gets real still. Everyone gets real competitive about being real still. And you get the respite you needed. Can I get an amen, Haley and Pete? Yeah. The Sabbath is not God's version of Sleeping Lions. Even if the Pharisees think it is. The Pharisees think that God has put this test, this challenge among humanity. You need to be perfect at doing nothing. I don't want to see anyone's eyes open. I don't want to see any work being done. And what happens is the players of sleeping, of divine sleeping lions, the Pharisees, they all start looking at each other and looking at others as well, going, I see him moving, I see him moving. God, he should be out. He's broken the rules. He's out, he's out, he's out. I was quiet. And that's what they do with Jesus. They're sort of saying, look, your guys, they're not very good at sleeping lions and neither are you. You're breaking God's law and you should be out. Sleeping lions was never God's plan for the Sabbath. God's plan for the Sabbath, he explains twice in different ways in both Exodus and Deuteronomy and he explains them differently. The Sabbath was a good God who loves his people, who loves you saying, I get how fast things can be. I get how much noise happens in the world. I get how frenetic it can be. Don't forget to stop and remember I'm with you. Don't forget to stop and remember I'm your Lord who leads you, who protects you, who made you and who loves you. He explains this in Exodus when Moses reads the Ten Commandments and he says, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Remember that God worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested. Did you ever notice that in Deuteronomy when Moses once again gives the law, he gives a different reason. In Exodus he says, keep the Sabbath because God worked six days and then he rested. Remember the Lord. In Deuteronomy he says, keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and with an outstretched arm the Lord rescued you. The Sabbath isn't about playing sleeping lions. The Sabbath is about remembering the Lord. The Sabbath is about recalling that God made you, recalling that God rescued you, recalling that God's with you, recalling, recalling that God's for you. The thing that these Pharisees who want to play sleeping lions have not understood, that God's law, be it the Sabbath, be it any of his laws, are always about revealing the heart of God, revealing the character of God, revealing the wisdom of God, that he is for his people, that he is true to what we say about him, that he's benevolent, always good, that he is always powerful, that he is always wise, that he is always knowledgeable, and that he's always for you. He always wants the best for you, even when you haven't realized that it's best yet. He wants that for you. He's a good God, and his commands, his laws, always reveal that. It's been that way since the very first time God gave a command. What was his first ever command? It was in the Garden of Eden, was it not? God said to Adam and Eve, see, I give you every green tree for food. I'll give you everything you need. You'll be fine. I've given you the whole shebang. And in the midst of the garden, there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, one rule, one law, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you might hear that and say, oh, God set up a real temptation test, didn't he? You can eat anything you want, but not the juicy one over there. 
you'd be mistaken. You'd be speaking foreign to everything we know of God's character. What was God showing in that law? He was showing that I will provide you everything you need. And just at the point where you think, oh, great, thanks for my pocket money, God, Dad, I'll just go off by myself. God was saying, donate from that one because in everything in your life, I want to be coming with you. I want to provide for you, and I even want to provide my presence. If you eat from the knowledge of good and evil, and your eyes are open, and you're just like God, then you go off by yourself. But I'm so for you. I'm the parent that never needs sleeping lions. I'm unlimited in my patience. I want my children to consistently come to me and say, what do you think about this? How should this work? Would you lead us here? Would you come with us? And God doesn't get bored of that. From the very first commandment to the last one, God's law reveals his heart which is for his people. His heart which is good, his heart that gives, his heart that is gracious, his heart that loves. And the Pharisees didn't get it. That's trial one. The law shows God's heart. Trial two. Trial two has the very same accusation. Trial 2's accusation is once again, same players, Pharisees, they'll be the accusers, on trial, Jesus, the Son of God, point of contact, the Sabbath. What is the accusation? Well, it's it's an ongoing accusation. They're like, you don't keep the Sabbath. Despite Jesus teaching in the first uh, Aki's in the first trial in the graveyard, graveyard, grain field. I don't know why I can't do grain field properly today. If I call it something different, just know that I was talking about grain field. You don't want to get up in here, it's weird. Jesus was saying the law is a revealer of God's heart, it's not a test, it's not sleeping lions. That's why he said, Did you realize the Sabbath was made for you? It's meant to help. You weren't made to undergo the test of the Sabbath. Seems to me the Pharisees didn't like that answer. They're like, no, 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 we want the test. Let's do the test. So we come to trial two, and the accusation is Jesus is the one who doesn't keep the Sabbath, and we want to test him. You can read this. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and there was a man with a decrepit or a withered hand, and the Pharisees were watching closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could arrest him. They wanted the Sabbath to be the tester, didn't they? They wanted to see how good a sleeping lion will Jesus be? Or will he do this naughty, naughty thing and start to move on the Sabbath? So they like Sabbath as test, despite Jesus teaching them otherwise. So verse 2, they are watching. Let's do the evidence. They accuse, you don't keep the Sabbath. So they start watching. What happens in the story? Well, for Jesus, he's like, well, if you want this to be a test, we can make it a test. And so he doesn't drag the guy with the withered hand into like backstage area of the synagogue. Instead, he says, hey, buddy, come and stand front and center on the platform where everybody can see you in front of everyone. And then he asks his own question, seeing as though they wanted a test. Jesus then said, I'm reading from verse 4. He said to the Pharisees, on the Sabbath, is it lawful to do good or to do bad? To save a life or to kill it? At that point, they were silent. Jesus goes on and he heals the man. Now, there's some compelling evidence that goes on here. Do you know why the Pharisees were silent? 
because they asked for a test and the test just found them out. See, Jesus says, I, I can see you guys are really concerned that I might work on the Sabbath and help this guy out, grant him life. So you're concerned, but seeing as though we're doing tests right now, what are you up to? And the Pharisees know, as Mark has recorded, that they had come. What is their verb? They are watching. They are watching closely. They are planning. They are scheming. They are doing the work of working out, Jesus says, is it right to save a life or to kill? They're planning a murder. They are right there trying to find a way to trap Jesus in his words so that they can kill him. They want him dead. They want to arrest him. And then, as the passage ends, what happens immediately, the Pharisees made a pact with the Herodians that they would kill him. Now, I want you to know, because I know we don't hang around with Pharisees and Herodians, these guys are not friends. Herodians belong to the political party that is the Herod dynasty. These guys are not really at all interested in God's law. They're interested in trying to be king. And even the uh, temple that Herod the Great built was full of idols and all kinds of things. Like this guy was not a true blue Jew in any way, by, by heritage or by practice. Herodians are a far, far cry from Pharisees. These guys, any other day, would be throwing stones at each other. But the, the old saying is true, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. <coughs> and so Jesus' question to them is, well, if we like tests, let's do a test and examine your work on this Sabbath. Your work is to team up with your enemies to plan a murder so you can put me to death because you didn't like that I help people on the Sabbath and that my disciples eat lunch. If the first trial showed us that the law of God reveals God's heart and how he's for us, then the second trial, applied as a test, shows that the law also reveals the heart of humanity. And these Pharisees who wanted to step up to the plate and be trialed by law, as they trialed Jesus by law, are shown for their evil, Jesus' words, and dark hearts that want to murder a man. Their hearts that are in no way moved towards God by the Sabbath, but are moved towards their own plans of let's kill Jesus. Let's kill that guy. And so you see, you see that the law reveals their hearts as hard and evil. The news that I think you know, or at least can feel coming, is that this is not unique to Pharisees. Indeed, the law always reveals God's heart and his character and that he's for us, but the law, when we step up against it and ask to be measured, what does it do? It shows me that I don't always love my neighbor as myself. It shows me that my motivations aren't always God's but my own. It shows me that I forget to remember God on many, many days, not just the Sabbath. It shows me that I get angry and it shows me all these different things and shows that my heart, like a Pharisee's heart, has heart disease. Not the kind of heart disease that might end my earthly life, but the kind of heart disease that without surgery will end my eternal life and separate me from God forever. It's called sin. And so what I want us to understand this morning about God's law is that God's law is good. 
As we see Jesus apply it with regard to the Sabbath, it reveals that God is good and for you. And it reveals that I am broken and fall short of God's glory and need rescue. So what is my response after these two trials? As the law reveals that God's heart is good, gracious, and kind, and my heart, like a Pharisee, is broken and short of God's glory. Well, one way that we sometimes take this on is by comparing. I say, okay, I'm short of God's glory. What I'll do, I'll try harder. This is what the Pharisees were doing when they wrote books like the Mishnah. It was like, okay, let's write more laws because that will help us to not break the laws that already exist and we'll just try it harder. And maybe if I only scored 65% on God's law test this time and I wasn't the best sleeping lion, maybe next time I can score 80. Maybe I can do better. And then I compare my heart to God's heart and maybe I've come up to his standard. And no one ever makes it. And do you know what else happens? Just like sleeping lions, we compare, I start to compare my heart with Dave's heart. And I'm like, oh, I saw Dave doing this other thing the other day. And, and Borg, yeah, like against Dave and Borg, I reckon I'm better. You know? Kind of better. I'm no Brolier. I'll, I'll never be like that guy. But I'm better than Dave, I'm better than Borg. And I start to compare. God's law that reveals that his heart is good and reveals that my heart is broken is not an invitation to get better and to compare and see if I can outdo you and if I can come to God's standard. Rather than compare, it's an invitation to confess. It's an invitation to come to God and say, I see how your, your law shows me that you are good, you are for, you love us, you give to us, you're gracious and love us beyond what I deserve. And my heart's kind of broken and I fall short and I'm messed up and things don't go quite right. Could I surrender my heart to your heart? Will you rescue me? Because I can't rescue myself. And your heart in its abundant goodness, revealed by your law, I appeal to it. I ask for your mercy, I ask for your grace and I confess that I've come short and I can't fix it. I was going to start this morning by asking you a question. As you think of the Ten Commandments, would you rather be so awesome at God's law that you always score 10 out of 10 and you're perfect? Or would you rather be a bumbling mess like me, but with God? I reckon you'd be an unusual person if there's some part of your belly that doesn't wrestle with that question and go, but perfect is perfect. Yeah, but perfect is without God. I would rather be a sinner who confesses, a sinner who repents, a sinner who depends upon God's good heart than the quality of my own because then I'm with God. And I think God would prefer for us, rather than being perfect, that we be paired. Because if we're paired with him in our imperfection, his heart's good enough. And in our imperfection, paired with him, guess what? You hang around with God long enough. You hang around with God close enough. Where do you think he's taking you? He'll lead you to perfection. In his time, in his end game, you'll get there. 
But better than being there, you'll be there with him. And it's all about being with him. The law, brothers and sisters in Christ, the law, anyone thinking about Jesus, reveals that God's heart is always good, reveals that my heart is always troubled, and reveals that hope and salvation only comes not from entrusting what I can do, but surrendering myself to the God who is always good. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for his mastery of your law. We thank you of how he teaches us to understand what is behind your law. We thank you that he is the incarnate, in the flesh example that you are always for us, that you are always loving more than we deserve, that you are always ready to be merciful, that you are not one who needs the game of sleeping lions. And so, Father, we pray today that your Holy Spirit do a little bit of heart surgery on us right now if we're wrestling with that, uh, that feeling that I need to be perfect. <coughs> Lord God, let us rather desire to be paired, united to Christ, who will lead us with him to the place of perfection and the righteous life. We pray in his name.